Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. This week, I'm talking to Jacob Silverstone about his experience with paroxysmal hemicrania. I practiced that so many times and it didn't help. Jacob is a practicing MD who couldn't find relief for his headaches within traditional medicine, and he talks a lot about how this experience shifted his perspective on natural remedies. It shifted so much that he actually went on to found a CBD company called Aaliyah Science, which you'll hear more about later in the interview. While we're talking, Jacob uses the term allopathic medicine a lot, and so I wanted to make sure that it was clearly defined in case you haven't heard it before. Basically, allopathic medicine is synonymous with Western medicine and generally seen as the opposite of naturopathic or holistic medicine. I was already familiar with the term, but when I googled it, I was surprised to see that Wikipedia says it's pejorative. I had never interpreted it that way, and I don't think that Jacob is using it that way either, particularly because he describes himself as an allopathic practitioner. So, what I'm saying is that we should probably ignore Wikipedia on this one. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. So what I like to do, just to get a little background, is ask, how was your health as a kid? Were you a healthy kid? Uh, that's a great question. It's a bit loaded. Um, <laughs> no, the answer is, well, let me, let me rephrase that. Um, I was significantly overweight as a kid. So um, while my general health, I didn't have any diagnosed illnesses, um, I, I do I do unfortunately reflect back on my, my dietary habits as a kid, um, and it has certainly contributed to my struggling with it as an adult. I've certainly grappled with the the issue with with uh, the weight um, I'm pretty much ahead of it at this point and I, you know I've successfully tackled it but no my health as as a child though I was extremely active and I was involved in sports and I was involved in athletics um, my eating habits were horrendous and you know that was partially contributed to the fact that both my parents held two to three jobs and the food that we were being fed was just you know quick and easy food it was a Kaiser roll with cream cheese and potato chips it was nothing significant so I was I was overweight as a child mm -hmm. um, marketing you know more towards the obese yeah and food access is really hard I feel like that's something that we're seeing hopefully more and more light being shone on but right as you say when when you're really busy and you're working to survive buying going to the farmer's market and buying like unwashed vegetables that take quite a while to prepare actually isn't it's, yeah. it can't be a priority if it was packaged and it was quick and easy, that's what was going into my lunchbox. Mm -hmm, totally. Right? Yeah. So that that so other than that, no, I was you know relatively a healthy child. I didn't I, you know I wasn't born with any chronic illness. I wasn't diagnosed. You know, um, I think a lot of children are kind of diagnosed with some level of asthma, which you know we mostly grow out of, and that was the extent of my childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I yeah. guess challenges. Yeah, and it wasn't, it sounds like something that you thought about much at the time. Correct. Um, so, so then you, you get older, you grow up, and when did things start to change? Both, when did you start to think more about maybe your health and your care? And also, when did you start to experience trouble? 
so the the funny part about it is um, there was there was a defining moment when it happened, and obviously, you know, I lost a tremendous amount of sleep while the symptoms were emerging. Uh, it initially happened in my final year of residency, so I was approximately 30 years old. So it was really more towards my adulthood. I was already a little bit more aware of of my health. Um, at that point, I, I had lost all of the weight. I was very conscious about my eating habits. You know, um, married and had at that point when the headache started, my third child, and my wife was pregnant with the fourth. So we were, you know, I was I was an adult by by all margins and, and you had a lot going on yeah I had like. a lot going on correct and the headache started um, it was actually just one headache and mm -hmm. it was a chronic headache and it just simply wasn't going away um, I was also having some olfactory type response where I kept smelling it was just continuous smell of something burning and obviously my first thought when I had a headache that was keeping me up at night wasn't letting me function was disturbing my my you know some of my sensory um, portions uh, I, it was a tumor. It was definitively a tumor, and that's what it was. That's what it was going like, to be. That's yeah. You had yeah. instantly. Yeah, instantly. This is it. I'm yeah. 30 years old. Um, this is this is the way it's going to go. That's mm -hmm. it. All right. I accepted it. I went to get my uh, my MRI, and you know, thank God everything came back negative. I then visited a neurologist. You know, e NCVs, EMGs, blood work, everything. He said it was a simple migraine. Um, put me on a number of medications, all of which did absolutely nothing for me other than uh, the side effects, which were mostly you know, sedation. And um, it really didn't do anything. What ended up you know, kind of stopping the headache was just time. Within three to four weeks of first symptoms, it went away. And, and so I, was it solid, would you say, the amount oh, of distress, or was it intermittent at all? No, not at all. It was Just, not – well – Like let three me, to let, four weeks of – So it was contiguous. Yeah. It was just contiguous pain the entire time. There was no lapse in the, in, in the quality of pain, but there were periods where it was just excruciating. Mm -hmm. So the, the intermittent was just really more on the severity of the pain, but it was constant pain. So like um, your ability to – um, suppress it and ignore it maybe went up and down, but Correct. it didn't go away. Okay. Yeah. Well said. Um, and obviously after I got the, you know, and I, as a resident in the institution where I was getting my MRI, I was looking over the shoulder of the, the radiologist. I was, he was reading it and he looked at me and he goes, there's nothing there. You're fine. Mm -hmm. That was really for me, um, the defining moment of, okay, so if it's pain, I'll just live with it or I'll deal with it. It's not the end of the world. Um, and I and that's really my approach to it. And then eventually it just stopped. It really was not one particular thing that I can remember that just ended it. I just woke up one morning. I was like, oh, good Lord, it's gone. Thank God. Yeah. It's gone. And I did not experience it for about a year and a half. We moved from New York down to Miami. Okay. And and the reason I'm mentioning that is because it does contribute to the diagnosis of, of the, uh, the class of headaches that I have, and I woke up with the same pain again. A I'm year like, later. I can't. Yeah, a, uh, about a year and a half later, and I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Um, fortunately, I found a neurologist locally who, as I was giving him my symptoms, was smiling and grinning at me, and he said, I don't understand. This is textbook paroxysmal hemicrania. This is triggered by seasons, and you know, in Miami, we don't have a lot of seasons, which is why there was a lapse between the next headache. And um, he treated me again with all sorts of different uh, type of headache medications. None of them really did anything. I just know that 
the triggering is seasonal changes, which really is only once or twice a year here in Miami. And it's long-lasting, and I just kind of dealt with it um, mm -hmm. because none of the medications were really helpful. During during the headaches, it's extremely distracting. I know it's not it's not in the sense where I'm unable to function, um, you know, in my profession, I'm able to function, but it is severely distracting. My paperwork is lagged. After two to three weeks of having the headaches, I have a ton of catch-up to do. Mm -hmm. My I, I literally work the the bare minimum to get through the day, and then once the headache clears, I play catch-up. And again, fortunately, it's not more than two times a year mm -hmm. at this point, but while it's not impactful in the sense of committing me to the house, it, it definitely plays a role. Yeah. And it's a struggle to have to remain focused and to be, you know, because much like parents, you know, physicians are not able to get sick. We show up, rather, you know, we don't take the day off and we just commit to it. Just like parents at home, you're sick, too bad. You got to get up, strap on and just mm -hmm. be there. So, yeah. um, so that's, that's kind of the, the issue that I have. Um, and I, I am fortunate that I have an understanding wife who suffers with the classic migraines. Um, okay. She does about three or four a month. Wow. So she was kind of, you know, comfortable having me uh, somewhat debilitated at home because the moment that I got home, I just I couldn't keep my eyes open. It really, mm -hmm. it's it, it does it does put you out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so that's been now it's kind of ongoing and maybe not predictable exactly, but it has a pattern that you can more or yeah. less identify. And So the funny part about it is during the experience and because of the failure of conservative medication, my neurologist here said, hey, listen, there's this great um, publication out of Germany. It's an herbal supplement called Butterbur. I want you to take a look at it. Uh, you know, as an allopathic type of physician, we are trained on evidence-based medicine. That means that just because somebody says it's going to work doesn't mean that it doesn't carry side effects. Things in nature carry side effects. You know, you don't eat all the berries that are growing on the on the bushes. Mm -hmm. You have to be keenly aware of which ones have the good reputations and which ones don't. Right. And um, even in the supplement world, we have to make sure that what we're taking is is, is somewhat, you know. Um, it, it positive in in terms of our our general health there are things that we take for granted just because we say hey it's natural not all natural is going to be beneficial right. so you know being in that type of a mindset and I'm a little stubborn with that he said do me a favor there's this great um, publication it was out of Germany I think the number was close to 500 um, participants and this supplement called Butterbur in the um, treatment of migraines and I read it and it showed that there was positive benefit to it. The only unfortunate negative to it is there are certain extract methods which one of the final portions of the chain, I know I'm warning you with this, no, no, it's can, good. has some carcinogenic um, linking. So okay. to be careful, if anyone is hearing this and they hear the term butterbur, just make sure you're getting the right type of butterbur. Um, okay. And it was very effective. It was really, really effective. Mm -hmm. uh, now, so how, what was that like? So the the first time that that this kind of happened was I, I I get a you know the the sense the sensation of when it's coming. I just get extremely exhausted, and all of a sudden my nose and my ear are clogged and running, and that's kind of like the classic paroxysmal hemicrania symptoms. And I know it's about to to happen. Mm -hmm. I start loading up on the butterbur, and the first time I did that, 
I was fine. Like, I was totally fine. Like, two or three days later, I was expecting the headache, yeah. and it never showed up. And, you know, I laugh about it. I say, listen, if it was psychosomatic and it was 100%, you know, a, a placebo effect, I really don't care. Yeah. It worked. That's so if thing. it was a placebo, it worked. So yeah. I don't know if I just believed in it because I read the literature or it really worked. For me, it worked. And that kind of changed a little bit my my um, my approach to to practice in general so mm -hmm. um that that was that was quite an eye-opening experience because for the first time i went in a total natural way and it was beneficial for me yeah because um, i was while you were talking about the earlier stages i was wondering but you kind of covered it is if there had yeah. been anything else that you tried in addition to medication because i know people with different headaches and migraines it's like you get to a point where you don't care if it's the placebo effect, as you say. You don't care. Yeah, you don't care. It was fine for me, and it worked very efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, and at, at that point, you know, it, it really was somewhat of an eye-opener in the sense where I, I don't know why we get fixated on philosophy. We sometimes get a little bit stubborn on the idea of, well, I am only a naturopath. Well, I am only an allopath. Well, I mean, the reality is that each one of us is is somewhat different in the sense of how we metabolize different elements. So it very well could be that allopathic works for some and homeopathic works for other. I don't know why we get into this philosophy discussion of well, you should only try one method. And that was that was the pivotal point for me to kind of really branch out and and recognize that while I had this evidence-based allopathic ideology, that perhaps homeopathy may have a place and that doesn't mean that it's a place for me in every element mm -hmm. though you know I, I don't get stubborn anymore I really don't I don't hang my my hat so to speak on on that hook I really don't um, okay. I have it all the time where patients will come to me and they say so what do you think about acupuncture and I'll say try it yeah if it works continue if it didn't work then it wasn't for you Right. Don't do it anymore. So it's it's really a matter of as long as it's as long as you're aware of the negative consequences or potential negative consequences, if the risks outweigh the benefits, mm -hmm. don't do it. If the benefits outweigh the risks, try it. Worst case scenario is you're back where you started. Mm -hmm. And that was that was to me really kind of the like I said, the pivotal point. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really I mean, especially after if you're in practice and you've been through med school and all of this stuff. And I know all practitioners are different anyway. Um, but it's my impression that Germany specifically does a lot of research around this kind of stuff, around more integrative care. Like they're one of the oh, leaders yeah. in where any good studies are coming out of or most. Yeah, um, you have you have a lot. Um... And again, not not to draw any any politics into the conversation, but I have I have a a um, a, a feeling that some of this has to do with access to to care, mm -hmm. and in a sense, somehow when you have more of a, a universal healthcare type of a system, sometimes getting to the specialists may be a little bit more challenging. Therefore, there's a significant amount of research, and that comes out of Israel as well. Like mm -hmm. the two leading countries, and you are absolutely right that that put out a tremendous amount of publication in terms of of um, more conservative care in terms of herbal medicine and and you know homeopathic are are coming from 
countries that have more of a, a social or universal healthcare system, and that's not a bad thing in any stretch of the imagination. I think any time you can avoid getting to the chemicals, we should try. But like I said before, if you didn't get success, then don't knock the advancements of science either. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that pendulum can't swing too far to the left or too far to the right. There are people that are clawing and dying at the opportunity to get some Western medicine at the same rate in, in the West where, you know, clawing at the opportunity to get some of that traditional Eastern medicine. So there's, there is, to me, in, in my opinion, a, a definite middle ground where we shouldn't, again, be as stubborn as sometimes we, we tend to be but I always find that going the natural way is is probably the preferred initial step. But then again, if it doesn't work, you know, I always use unfortunately Steve Jobs as 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 my my case study. He had a treatable cancer, but he got stuck and he got really stubborn and he did not want to do traditional therapy and he hung his hat on just one type. And unfortunately, that, that, that was unsuccessful for him. So for me, it's really, really, yes, Germany definitely puts out a, a lot of that publication. I think a lot of it is because it, in part, is the first step. And I think, unfortunately, in the Western medicine, we kind of forgot it. Mm -hmm. we, we forgot it. We know, for instance, typically that Motrin is going to help us. But there are other anti-inflammatories that don't have the side effects that maybe we can try first if we can tolerate it. I did it in the reverse. I tried all the chemicals first, yeah. and only when it failed did I then go to the natural path. And I think a lot of times we find that that's the reason we see such a stronghold on those that no longer believe in Western medicine yeah. because it didn't work for them, and then the natural did work for them. I think that we're we're kind of viewing it in in the it's wrong like fashion. Yeah, we should first try naturopathic, and if it worked, great. Mm -hmm. But if it didn't work, there is there are alternatives. So in a weird way, I I think the way I view medicine now is really the chemical is the alternative medicine, where we should first try the naturopathic. Mm -hmm. But again, that's really born out of my experience. Yeah. No, I think you're I think you're spot on. I mean, with both people who write about it, things that I've read and then people who I've talked to so far in my own experience is it's like you can get stuck in between and it depends because there's something like migraine or headaches where there are a few treatments that work for a few people and then if they don't, everybody is just out there trying to do their own research and find their own things to experiment with and it's the same with like anything that has a chronic fatigue component because fatigue is right. so difficult. If your blood work looks fine, you know that you don't feel right, but there aren't a lot of options. And now with the internet, of course, I think this is one of the reasons that it's like getting more siloed now is that with the internet, anybody can make a testimonial that something works. And so we lose a lot of that evidence. And there isn't even that much to begin with for a lot of this stuff. Like right, right now, people are really into celery juice. And maybe that's helping people. I don't know much about celery juice, but right. I can tell you it is a very trendy thing right now um, without a lot of information behind it. But probably low risk as far as right. these things go. Yeah. And also, that's funny that you mentioned celery juice. Um, you know, when when I, I either blend or, or juice, I use celery because it's really, really cheap. 
and very, very, very rich in juice. <laughs> so I use that kind of like as a foundation, as a yeah. base, um, because I can get a lot of juice and out it's of... it's very watery, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's predominantly fiber and water. That's mm -hmm. really what it is. That's funny. Um, yeah. It, I, I can tell you that, I don't that, that was the only on reason is because it just filled yeah. up. It filled up the cup of water. Yeah. I didn't even hear about the benefits. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so I am not super informed on this. I will tell you. But it came from a book called Med Medical Medium, which is also a person who is as described. So a medium who has written a book about health care, kind of, I think. Um so anyway, one of their main rec recommendations is celery juice for everything. And it's I, I think it's the kind of thing like I have a smoothie every day. I think nutrition is important. I don't whatever. Yeah. But it's like I appealing to people who are totally lost in the healthcare system, I think, which is one of the things that can be so frustrating is you see it of like, well, like either a specialist couldn't help me or I can't afford to find another specialist. And like, here is one thing that I can be doing. And we all end up with these like whole panels of rituals, I think that are things that we're trying to do to improve, to like move the needle, you know? Right. So, so for me, again, I, I never really lost the, the, um, my foundation of evidence-based medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I think, again, like I said, I, the the approach for me has has shifted in the sense where let's try the the more natural remedies before we jump to the chemicals. Mm -hmm. But we should always have some level of of um, evidence-based medicine. Yeah. And again, the reason we're also seeing this a little bit more with universal health is because countries that have universal health, their their um, profit for pharmaceuticals are not as robust. Right. Therefore, you don't have a lot of research money going into chemicals, so they're looking for government-subsidized research, and that tends to go into the more natural or healthy ways. Mm -hmm. um, so Germany and Israel leading, leading a lot of that type of research. I really do find that we are starting to see a lot more in that sense. But again, I'm not going to jump into a trend yeah. unless I see it. And, you know, the neurologist, excuse me, the neurologist said, hey, take a look at this article. I yeah. looked at it. Starting great number. Research. Yeah, it was great. Um, showed It showed mm -hmm. an efficacy towards it. I said, all right, I'm going to give it a whirl. But had I not seen that article, I don't know that I would have done it, to be right. very honest with you. Yeah. Because I don't know what Butterbur is. I have no idea. I've never heard of it before. I don't know yeah. what the side effects are. And reading through the article, I did note mm -hmm. that there is an extraction method which can be linked to uh, liver, liver car cancer. So mm -hmm. we have to be aware that just because it comes out of the ground doesn't mean it's going to be good for you. Right. You should. It should be well studied. And sometimes just because it comes out of the ground doesn't mean it should substitute. Again, going to some of the chronic illnesses, you know, I am certain that most people with chronic illness try anything natural, mm -hmm. but it doesn't always work for them. And they shouldn't be shamed to use doctors either. Right. We're we're in an era where unfortunately there's there's a it's in vogue to not trust physicians. It really has become very popular as if somehow or another physicians are uneducated. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't read the blogs. They're completely unaware. It's like in another world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like you can't trust a doctor. Well, that's that's too far. You mm -hmm. you can't say that either because I do believe ultimately that shames other people from 
publicly saying, hey, I tried the celery juice. It didn't do it for me. Right. I tried the goji berry. It wasn't. It didn't give me energy like it promised it would. Mm-hmm. Well, then what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to a rheumatologist. A rheumatologist, yeah. a doctor. They're going to pump you full of chemicals. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's okay too. Yeah. If they help. If it helps and it makes you function, then for your metabolism and for your specific makeup and for your chemistry, it's working. Mm-hmm. Therefore, go ahead and enjoy it. That's what it's there for. Yeah. Don't don't be so dismissive. So, yeah, um, it's an interesting yeah. landscape, I would say. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I don't know why, and, and maybe it's just the era that we live in. It, it's if you're not, if you're you're either on Team A or Team B, and Team A doesn't like Team B, and Team B doesn't like Team A, and there's no middle of the ground, there no more, there 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 is no more compromise in the sense of of logic. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where we we've fallen into, and I think it's more as a society and I think that borrows into all the different facets of our lives and health being one of them mm-hmm. at least in my in my experience yeah yeah and I think like the the promise of say health bloggers so people who are making these recommendations without a lot of evidence the promise of it is that if you just work hard enough you'll get better and usually your doctor doesn't tell you that your doctor will either say let's try this medication if you're at that point or like, I'm not finding anything right now. We need to, you know, go to someone else or da 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 And it's, you can feel like you're stuck. And it's, I think it's appealing, if not necessarily real, to see this other way, like, change your diet and everything will get better. But oh, right. I it's mean, not that, the whole picture. No, it isn't. And, and that's an excellent, you know, segue into the fact that while, while chronic illness um, – you know there are there are autoimmune diseases. There are definite, um, I guess, pathologies that exist in the sense where we we just haven't figured it out yet. We don't know why yeah. the body wants to attack itself. Um, at least in the United States, sixty percent, sixty. That's beyond majority of disease is preventative with one change, and that's diet. Mm-hmm. Diet is responsible. Um, I know that we do see a lot in the sense now, uh, and, and and it's starting to. I, I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl or you fell asleep halfway through it, <laughs> but but Budweiser is, you know, their entire uh, campaign during the Super Bowl was, we don't use corn syrup in a, in our beverages, and guess who does? The competitors, Coors uses corn syrup. So even Budweiser, yeah. who is a a you know it's alcohol by no stretch of the imagination is beer good for you. Right. Um, I mean, one beer is not bad for you, but it's but, not a health but, food. Right. It, we wouldn't consider it a superfood. Um, they are on board with get rid of the sugar. We don't need those those unnecessary sugars. They're recognizing it not. Not not even not even to the point where they're putting you know thirty seconds five million dollar campaign ads on the Super Bowl, but they're 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 go they're they're gambling on the fact that America has now picked up on this because that's what we're going to stress during the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We are not a sugar based drink. Yeah, and and then that was pretty that was pretty remarkable for like, me to see the market yeah, moved. 
Yeah. The market has moved. America has woken up to the idea that, you know what, refined sugar, corn syrup, these types of additives that, that have been in enriching food for the better part of 30 years has been making us sick. So yeah, diet diet has, has a significant role in our general health. Mm -hmm. And the good news is I think the, the landscape of the medical community has done a very good job in educating the, the people if there's one success that I can that I can attribute to to the uh, to the medical community at large is identifying the the risks of disease secondary to high sugar intake. Mm -hmm. I think they've done a very good job. All of my colleagues identify that. They all have conversations. It's pro probably the number one conversation when a patient comes in with underlying health conditions, hypertension, diabetes, obviously, uh, high cholesterol, anything of that nature is, hey, cut out the sugar. Mm -hmm. Stop with refined sugar. Every physician has that conversation with their patient. And I think that that is a potential bridge between the two communities because I think both communities identify, you know, processed or refined sugar as as toxic to the general health and well-being of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's moving so fast. And that's one of the things that well, while I talk to people, I think a lot of people are finding their own treatment or their own protocols somewhere in the middle where they'll experiment with paleo, for example, or variants of paleo at the same time as, you know, changing their exercise and sleep habits and trying to fine tune their medication depending depending on their diagnosis, yeah. of course. But it does it like it makes a huge difference in a lot of people's lives and I'm sure it's a harder sell for people who feel healthy. Like it's a big change to cut sugar out of your life, for example, when you don't feel like you need it, but when people do, they notice a big difference. Yeah. Um so I have one follow-up question about your own health that I realized that I don't quite know for sure. So you were saying you started taking butter burr and it, and it cut off a headache completely. Has that continued to be true since you started using it? Great question. So um, the answer is not. It's not. It's not a foolproof method. Mm -hmm. it, it hasn't gotten rid of of the headaches, but I haven't had a headache as severe. As the one that I uh, I had my first year in Miami, where I just I was just completely mm -hmm. debilitated. Um, no, it, it, it they still come. Um, I'm still able to sense when they're coming. Do they? Does it always curb it entirely? No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But it certainly helps. Yeah. Like I said, it certainly helps. And then, I have found it therapeutic. Yeah. And then have you added anything in? So after learning that yes. that could make a difference. What yes. else shifted? So both in your own care and then your whole attitude, which is what we've been talking about the whole time. But I'm just right. thinking back to that moment. So, so uh, funny enough, the the conversations sometimes get um, brought up by patients where they're going to be the first ones to inform me because they're looking at me and they say, "Have you ever heard of, you know?" Do you believe in right? So I have I have a close friend, and I'm not going to mention him by name, but he's he's a pain management physician, out of Hopkins, trained in Boston, very very well educated guy. Guy super square. He hasn't had 
a sip of scotch, doesn't take Tylenol, doesn't do not nothing in his life. He's just one of those really, really, really square type of individuals who's very, very much by the books. If it's not in the literature, he doesn't want to look at it. And he follows a, a kind of like an algorithm and treatment, and if you deviate from the algorithm, it kind of throws things off, and he has to readjust. And he started in Florida, we had um, the success of medicinal marijuana added into into our armamentarium in terms of pain management and he started prescribing uh, marijuana as a treatment for chronic pain and the best part about it is you would think that his average patient would be in their 30s or 40s and it is not the case his average patient is in their 70s wow. these are these yeah these are these are patients who have never even considered it in their life never tried it never experimented in college as they used to say um, they they have you know mostly arthritic conditions that are debilitating them and they started with it so we started looking into a little bit more of the literature behind it and CBD which is a you know big buzzword nowadays is is uh, something that was very alluring to me and the reason why it's alluring to me is obviously because its downside is minimal right and it doesn't get you the, high compared to there is correct THC. there is no euphoric right there's no euphoric effect mm -hmm. the right that's that's the the medical term is there is no euphoria associated with CBD mm -hmm. um, and then I started looking the, uh, up for the literature regarding CBD and its efficacy and unfortunately because of the the quote-unquote war on drugs in the late 70s there's very limited CBD research in the United States so we mm -hmm. had to kind of like look outside and there is a lot of lit literature coming out of both Europe South America and Israel in regards to the efficacy of CBD with chronic pains inflammations mm -hmm. right so now we're believers we have tons of literature that say hey everything from ulcerative colitis to anxiety to um, rheumatoid arthritis to migraines to um, uh, dermatological conditions like eczema uh, all sorts of, uh, of inflammatory type reactions we're finding that CBD is effective mm -hmm. okay wonderful now the question becomes where do we get how do we get what do we do so yeah. now we started looking into it um, really mostly me I started looking into um, the the issue with CBD and then came the whole world of the internet CBD isolate versus CBD full spectrum what's the benefit of full, full spectrum versus this okay so now I start looking into it and say okay where do I get what mm -hmm. and the problem is again based on you know this kind of ties back to my philosophy is nothing in evidence-based medicine discusses CBD full-spectrum oil right the internet community says hey the full-spectrum oil has all of these cannabis oils associated with it they must be good for you as well and I'm saying very well may have benefits but I don't know because we haven't they're done any studied. research on it they're not studied so I'm not saying they are or they aren't but I can't consciously go ahead and advocate for something that I haven't seen proper research on it and I'm not suggesting that it, we're not gonna see research on it I'm saying at the present time literature is really suggestive of CBD and not CBDA it's the decarboxylated active CBD so now where do I get it and that was the problem the problem is I don't know where to get it. Most most online um, sellers are selling full spectrum CBD oil. So I got in touch with a friend of mine who runs a lab down here in Miami, and I said, 
could you explain to me why I can't find the isolate? And he said, well, it's very simple because the CBD oil, when you sell it as 1,000 milligrams of CBD oil, they're not telling you how much CBD is per actual serving because it's diluted mm -hmm. and it's diluted down. Therefore, they can put on the label a thousand milligrams of CBD oil and not specify. So CBD is the expensive ingredient in all of this. So you can kind of fabricate a much more appealing product to the masses based on really being creative with how you're using math. Um, and that was that was very like offensive to me. Yeah. Then I figured out and I realized that while there are some reputable companies out there, the large scale CBD oil manufacturers are the same guys and, and I, I mean I can show you who they are. They're the same exact guys that are doing the male enhancement pills at the gas station. They're doing the as seen on TV, you know, illuminated flashlights. They're doing the it's it's a volume market for them. They yeah. don't care. It really they're they're not caring about it. So it really bothered me in in a way that we finally have something that has good literature to support its efficacy, and I can t and I can attest to good CBD being helpful because you know my wife does very very well with CBD with her migraines. For migraines. Yeah. Um, I did very well with, you know, at least bringing down some of the the severity of it. The duration was really the the butterbur for me, but mm -hmm. the severity was really brought down by CBD. Mm -hmm. um, and it really bothers me that the quality of goods, unfortunately, is being overshadowed by the capitalist idea that it's a buzzword. We're going to get it out there and we're going to mass sell it and mass produce it. And I don't know, I think the number is 2017, the medical CBD market was at $2.5 billion. And I think 2018, it's at like 15 or 16. I have wow. to, you have yeah. to fact check me. But, but the numbers exploding. are astronomical. Yeah. yeah, the numbers, and it really is. And with the new farm bill, it really did open it up to, to a lot less... Um, pervasiveness with government not allowing it to go through. Um, the DEA is totally cool as long as it's coming out of the hemp plant and not the cannabis plant. Mm -hmm. So all of this is borrowing to the explosion in the market, but the problem is you're not getting what's well-researched and you're not getting the, the product being labeled accurately. So, I mean, you know, that's how I ended up coming together with one of the chemists and a buddy of mine and we actually started putting together and piecemealing supplements that we felt had some level of literature behind it um, and some good efficacy towards them and that's that that's what bore out my my new I guess startup Your venture. Of, yeah my venture Your CBD venture yes and so I have I mean CBD is really interesting for sure because it's one of those things that like like you basically say, people are asking about it all the time. Like in all of the online communities that I'm in, it comes up regularly. Uh, you see it all over Instagram and people have, yeah. I think a lot of the questions that you had, which is like, how do I know what to buy? And what what is the dosage like? And I think this is a really interesting thing as it relates to pharmaceuticals is at least with pharmaceuticals, you do know, you know what it is and you know what's being recommended. And like, 
I may have some things about the pharmaceutical industry that I don't love and could probably rant about, but like, I trust that the dosage in a pill is what it says it is and that it it is what it says it is. And when it's not, something has gone very wrong and will get figured out. So the problem, the problem that we have is the distrust in the pharmaceutical companies, as you were alluding to, and with, without a doubt, you are, you're, you're correct. However, the, the benefits, as you were suggesting with the dosaging, um, is also true because mm-hmm. uh, I, I do participate in, in research, um, in mm-hmm. the clinical um, trials. So I have now done, I'm in my fourth as a primary investigator. Um, for FDA, now we're at, at the third stage. So when we approve, when, when we show the efficacy to the FDA, then the product gets launched and that now it's approved. And I can tell you the amount of paperwork that goes in and the amount of regulation that goes in and the amount of involvement before you submit to the FDA, is it's absurd. Every patient file, every subject that is being tested, file this thick. Every every page has to be initialed. Every page has to be detailed, right? And this is the pharmaceutical company dumping millions of dollars to ensure that their product is safe. And then they submit that to the FDA. Then the FDA looks at it and says, okay, we accept the research that you've put in front of us. We'll approve it and we'll let it go into market. Yeah, and for this specific use. For this specific use, with the homeopathic market, that doesn't exist. All you got to do is little asterisk, these statements have not been endorsed or approved by the FDA, you're at your own risk, and then you're good to go. So it's an excellent question, and unfortunately, even I don't have a direct answer for that, which mm-hmm. again is why when when we went into this venture, that was part of our discussions. Mm-hmm. And what we ended up doing is we said, listen, we know CBD is effective. We know that it has an efficacy in, in inflammatory components, but we also know that there are other supplements that exist that are also helpful and beneficial that have literature and we have for those certain recommended dosages for instance we know that turmeric we know that magnesium we know that l-glutamine these are all these are all um, supplements that have been well published well researched mm-hmm. and for us it was well why are we ignoring other elements that that exist so what we did is we actually created based on evidence-based medicine different formulations for different type of you know uh, what we'll call them pathologies in order to to help and assist and then what we did is we embodied it with CBD we said we're also going to add CBD but what we're going to do is we're going to add the CBD isolate because that's the only thing I can show you literature on it and in terms of dosages we're going to go to what the dosages of some of the literature suggested that they used and that's kind of how we we played our hands so what we're trying to do and the reason we did that was very very specifically because of my experience I said listen I want to go to physicians and say recommend this to your to your patient right. and the first thing any allopathic physician is going to say is how do I know it works and right. I'm going to say we'll take a look at the ingredients and I'll show you publications on every one of these ingredients on how it works um, you know I didn't run a clinical trial but we did run 25 patient sample size and you know we have success with it so it's not a surprise because we know that the ingredients that we use right. are are beneficial um, for instance, our, our headache formula, what we call our migraine formula, you could already kind of guess what supplement you're going to find in there. You're going to find Butterbur, you're going to find B12, you're going to find Fervorfew, and you're also going to find CBD. Mm-hmm. 
that's that's right so my experience said hey let's use what's worked what's published what's what what's in the market and 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 kind of try to expand on on that type of idea mm-hmm. and the reality is that we're not again suggesting drop your medication we're right. saying give it a whirl yeah if this didn't work for you don't be embarrassed go to the doctor and try the chemical yeah. that's also been tested there's yeah. also publication you don't go out to market unless you've run the gamut of testing mm-hmm. so we're we're what we're trying to really do as a company is maybe where where the undertaking is a little bit greater than than you know what we can handle but we we really are trying to bridge the two worlds together mm-hmm. and educate both sides to say hey trust your doctor they're not evil people right. we're giving them right <laughs> they're gonna have something within their 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 um, you know cabinet that is natural and you know side effects are benign but if it doesn't work yeah. trust the same doctor to let you down the path of which pharmaceutical may work for you yeah and to yeah. like inform yourself about the risks basically the risk benefit correct. analysis correct Correct. So um, what other formulations do you have? You just mentioned migraine. It sounds like there's probably still a lot of moving pieces, but I'd love to know more about, like, what have okay. you learned? What are you working on? How does, so, how does this all work? <laughs> so we have, we, we, what I did is um, we, we kind of approached what we felt were the most common um, ailments in, in the United States, right? So we have what we call the original formula. The original formula is uh, B12, B complex, along with CBD. And that's really just for general well-being. I, I actually take B12 every day. Um, B12, there was, there was a publication in the New England Journal of Medicine 2011. Um, and it showed the efficacy of B12 along with B6 and the prevention of dementia and Alzheimer's. And I remember that year because I couldn't find B12 injectables anymore. It was off the shelves. Yeah. There was a backlog. I couldn't find it. All right, six months later, the trend is over. Nobody cares about it. The media is no longer talking about it. Right. But B- B12 is just one of those essential vitamins that everyone should just be taking. Mm-hmm. It is a great way to just boost your energy to a certain degree, and it and it is protective. It's a protective vitamin. Yeah. So we said, hey, if this is going to be our daily take of CBD, let's add the B12 to it. So that's kind of like our original formula mm-hmm. where we suggest that that's just for general fatigue, general you know, inflammatory issues. That's your daily take. Then we created four additional formulas. Um, the headache one, which I discussed, which is the migraine one, which my, my biggest success is my wife. Um, she does really great with it, really, really great with it, and I fine-tuned it. Um, the second one we have is sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, our sleep has uh, we obviously stripped it of the B6 and the B12 because we don't want you all perky at night yeah but we did we did keep the niacin and the B5 um, but what we added was obviously melatonin and kava kava so kava kava is a natural relaxant and melatonin everybody you know has heard of and most yeah. of us have tried yeah. the problem that we have with melatonin is vivid dreams so a lot, a lot of people don't have a restful sleep because they have these vivid dreams, and it wakes them up. Many of them turn into frights or terrors, especially with children. And I don't advocate my formulas for children. We have no testing on that. But um, a lot of that 
you know, information is available on the melatonin in the sense of night terrors and, and vivid dreams. So the CBD, for some reason or another, and I don't have any explanation, um, gets rid of that. And my chemist's wife, who has been taking, you know, chemicals, and she's chemically codependent to go to sleep every single night, mm -hmm. um, no longer does. She uses our our formula for sleep. So mm -hmm. we realize that sleep is a big is a big uh, challenge, and I think a lot of that has to do with the anxiety. And if I had to, if I had to guess why CBD. Um, is working with the vivid dreams because melatonin, while it works on the receptors to lull you into sleep, it does nothing for the anxiety which most people suffer, which doesn't let them go to sleep. So mm -hmm. I feel that perhaps with the CBD, it does it does break some of that anxiety in the sense of allowing people to just kind of calm and naturally go into that sleep. So we have the original, we have the headache, we have the sleep. We have general anti-inflammatory one, and in that one we we added turmeric and cumin and magnesium, which all three specifically for my fibromyalgia have been well studied and um, very efficacious. And we added that with the B12 and the CBD. And then our final formula was also for me because um, part of my my you know anxiety is I do have reflux and I refuse to take Nexium. I did not want to take a PPI because I am a firm believer that part of part of your general immunity does come from the gut. You know, mm -hmm. I don't believe in the whole leaky gut concept. I know that there are many people that do, but yeah. I do believe wholeheartedly that that serotonin is is the initial production is in the gut, and I do believe that, that again, food consumption, it all plays a, a major role. So I didn't want to take a PPI to disturb anything, and I, um, I have a reflux or GI one, which, you know, has ginger in it, and it has turmeric, again, an anti-inflammatory, and L-glutamine, which has shown to be really good with, with a natural way to prevent reflux, and again, um, added the multivitamin Bs, with the exception of B6, which, by the way, has, it could kick up the reflux, so people okay. are taking multiple vitamins, again, this is where literature is important, yeah. right? Um, it, it shows that it could actually tri trigger reflux, so we removed that one out of the uh, the entire uh, cascade of ingredients. Got it. And again, one. CBD. CBD has shown, you know, for ulcerative colitis, for um, Crohn's, mm -hmm. so forth and so on. So those are our five formulas. So what we're really basically saying is, hey, before the Motrin, try our pain and inflammation one. Before you go to the purple pill, try and use the reflux. Instead of going with Imitrex and all the pharmaceuticals for your migraines, mm -hmm. we know that these stuff kind of works. And if you have low you know, energy and chronic fatigue, mm -hmm. then even though one cup or two cups of coffee is actually good for you, it, it there's nothing wrong with it. If you're finding yourself having to take six cups of coffees, maybe you should try our daily, right. our daily formula first. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of how it all, it all came into part. Mm -hmm. And so how it's relatively new, but obviously not that new because you've like got all of this stuff done already. Um, how has it been for you as someone who is still practicing or like who is still believes in, as you say, allopathic medicine and is also now leaning into something that looks much more alternative? Like, do you find that this impacts how you navigate medicine in general? I don't know if that's does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like I said, um, rather rather than having 
the idea that allopathic medicine is evil and that allopathic medicine is the first and then natural is the alternative, I've adjusted. I said, hey, try this first and the yeah. alternative is the allopathic. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, if it's an over-the-counter pill, try this first. It's most likely to work better. Yeah. That That's my approach to it this is probably going to work better than Motrin. This is probably going to work better than Excedrin. This is probably going to work better than Nexium. This is probably going to work better than the next thing. And the truth is it does. It yeah. really does. It's effective. And the reason is because we know all the ingredients that are in it. We, we have literature. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, you know, the, the medical community has been extremely welcoming, mostly because so many patients are coming and saying, hey, what I don't want to take this. What are my alternatives? And yeah. now they say, well, we have a well-studied alternative. Yeah. So the medical community, like I said, is actually very welcoming. They're not – we thought that, that it would be a, a stronger or a bigger fight, but it seems like that's where we're shifting. Mm -hmm. I think we're heading in that direction anyways. Yeah, that makes – I mean, that's really interesting to, to think of it in terms of what are patients asking for because I'm sure a lot of patients over the last couple of years have shown up and said, what can you tell me about CBD? And a lot of doctors are going, I don't know yet, but I right. will learn or hopefully that's what they're thinking. Right. But like it's kind of it's everywhere um, and people are recommending it online, of course. And yeah. if you're someone who's on a bunch of medication, you want to make sure that things don't conflict or whatever. And also, I'm interested, like you mentioned, one uh, anti-inflammatory relating to fibromyalgia. It's like a lot of the nerve medications, like Lyrica, can have some pretty tough side effects. Or um, now I just blanked, but the other gabapentin. one. Gabapentin, yeah. Yeah, gabapentin, gabapentin which is yeah. like a controlled substance in some places and also Correct. has some pretty tough side effects. But yeah. there's nothing in between really if you right they used to use amitriptyline which is no better so the problem the problem with those medications is their side effect is sedation mm -hmm. and here we are we're saying we want you to be an active person uh, but you can't be active because of the pain mm -hmm. so we're now going to get rid of the pain but not make you active and mm -hmm. we haven't we haven't gotten anywhere mm -hmm. so now you're pain free but you're inactive and that you know to me is is really not not a good alternative right. and I can tell you within my practice and this is a hundred percent anecdotal it mm -hmm. really is anecdotal I, you know this isn't published literature in any stretch of the imagination um, I see neuropathic patients regularly diabetic neuropathic patients I mm -hmm. probably see about you know 15 a day and that's not an exaggeration and I can tell you I can count on my hands how many patients I have on gabapentin mm -hmm. it's really not that many right. almost all of them almost all of them are taking B12 and B, B complex, which has been neuroprotective, and exercise. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are compliant and the ones that really push themselves to it seem to be functioning well. And I'm not suggesting that they are cured by any stretch of the imagination, but they are certainly able to tolerate whatever manifestation of the neuropathy that they're sense that they're sensing. But more importantly, they've become active again. Mm -hmm. So yes. Um, I always, and I have done that, you know, since since my experience. Tried, hey, B12. I'll give them B12 injections. I've said, you know, you know, 20 minute brisk walking three times a day, you know, and, and I almost always education is a big part of this. I tell them, it's not that much. It's 10 songs, five songs away from your house at a brisk pace. Turn around five songs 
back to your house at a brisk pace. Mm -hmm. Just get that heart rate elevated. And they seem to be compliant and what, what helps them is um, realistic expectations. I always, I always have the conversation with the patient, hey, this may not get rid of it entirely, but it's going to be much better. And don't expect it to happen overnight. It's going to take three to four weeks for us to start getting a turnaround in the, in the symptoms. And don't worry, if we don't get to that point in four weeks, we haven't burned any bridges, we can always start you on a very low dose of Neurontin or Gabapentin mm -hmm. and then you know, incrementally raise you to an effective dose. Mm -hmm. And of the patients that I have, I can tell you, almost all of them are taking 100 milligrams once a day at night. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's really a minimalist dose when you can go up to 900 milligrams three times a day. So it's mm -hmm. really, I, even, even those that I have on the medication, um, it's a low dose and, and it, the reason is, yeah, it's they, they really do they are compliant because they feel the effects right and because it's part of a larger plan i think that's something Correct. that can get lost both with some practitioners and also the attitudes of some patients is if you don't want to change anything else and you only want medication to fix it like it's not realistic <sighs> probably but i feel like it's no. a really common attitude and on yes. both sides yes um yes yeah. 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 <laughs> the answer is yes on both sides, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. And that's something um, that's shifting, I think. It's yeah. Not, and, to your point about having a lot of colleagues who now recommend diet, cutting sugar and stuff, it's shifting. Yeah, but it's yeah, like and, and, we have the legacy of that. Yes, we we are. We are yeah. we are starting to see a shift. That's the fortunate part of healthcare. We are seeing a shift in a positive direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we are getting in on the hour. Is there anything that we haven't covered just while we've been? I know we've, we've been, we talked a lot about a lot of stuff, which is yeah. common for this. I think we covered all of my questions for sure. But if there's anything in your brain that you want to make sure you get out. No, no, no I think, I think, okay. um, I think this was, this was a great conversation and yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to it's good to have this um, kind of candid discussion about about some of the you know ideas that that keep bouncing around my head and to be able to express them in a public forum. Thank you for listening to episode twenty three of No End in Sight. You can find Jacob's company on Instagram at Aaliyah underscore Science. You can find this show on Instagram at noendinsightpod with periods where the spaces should be. And you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at BennisB. In the next episode, I'll be talking to a woman living with cystic fibrosis who has been through all sorts of diagnostic and insurance obstacles. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. Now that I'm trying to get back on a more regular work type schedule, I've got plans to get this group a little more active. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. I was working on winter patterns, but it's definitely spring now, so I'll probably switch tack soon. Either way, I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.